Before we get started with this episode of American Rabbi Project, a few quick things. First of all, if you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to this podcast. You can do so by going to my website, rabbiproject.com, and clicking on the Donate tab. Also, I am officially on the speaking circuit, so to say. If you're interested in having me speak to your group of any size, please shoot me an email, justin at rabbiproject.com. Once again, justin at rabbiproject.com. And of course, I can do virtual presentations. Finally, everyone interviewed for this podcast speaks solely for themselves. Welcome to American Rabbi Project, a podcast about American Judaism from the perspectives of rabbis across the country. I'm Justin Regan. As I've mentioned before, I'm from an interfaith family. However, there was no major tension in that field while growing up. The first serious clash didn't happen until I was on the road trip, when the Dodgers and the Red Sox played each other in the World Series. My dad's family is from Boston, pious followers of the Trinity of the Brady, the Bird, and the Bobby Orr. My mom's family converted to the Dodgers when they moved from Philly to L.A. I've had my identity struggles in the past. Which team is my favorite? Can I be a fan of both? People say the teams are in contention because one believes in the designated hitter and the other does not. In my soul, I really do feel closer to the Dodgers. And that's nothing against my dad, just that everyone has their preference. I really do love baseball, and I've heard the arguments that it is the most Jewish sport because of its quirks and being steeped in tradition. I'd go one further and say that the Dodgers, at least when they were in Brooklyn, were the most Jewish team. Heck, they were America's team. Brooklyn was the immigrants' borough, home to a diverse array of Jews, African Americans, Italians, and Irish. Even though they lost a lot to their uptown rivals, the Yankees, there were some times under the leadership of players like Jackie Robinson, Roy Campanella, and Sandy Koufax that the Dodgers won it all. And that narration is not without its own flaws. The Latino-majority neighborhood of Chavez Ravine was flattened to build Dodger Stadium in L.A. And that whole story with the move and the neighborhood and Fernando Mania is in itself worth a whole nother podcast. But for me... On this trip, I found it to be a unique blessing that by sheer luck I happened to be in the Boston area during the 2018 World Series. And yeah, the Dodgers got stomped, but I try instead to focus on how amazing it was that so many factors came together for me to be in that place for such a special moment for myself and my family. Because sometimes it's not about whether you win or lose. It's about finding the inspiration wherever you can. Episode 8, Massachusetts, The Tide is Rising. Many people know the Brookline neighborhood in Boston as the birthplace of President John F. Kennedy, a person who seems to be quite popular in New England. It's also one of the big Jewish neighborhoods of the region and the location of Temple Sinai, where Rabbi Shoshana Meira Friedman works. Hi, my name is Rabbi Shoshana Meira Friedman. I am a rabbi in Brookline, Massachusetts at Temple Sinai. I think about my job as a facilitator of community. So I went to rabbinical school to learn and immerse myself in Jewish tradition and in what Jewish tradition has to bring to the modern 
world and to this particular moment of history. For Friedman, there is a lot happening in this particular moment in history. Among her concerns include climate change, immigration issues, racism, poverty, and inequality. So she's part of many communities. That includes interfaith environmental activists. She's advocated for renewable energy laws. At protests, she sang, prayed, read Torah, and gotten arrested for blocking construction areas. Friedman and her husband, Yotam Schachter, even wrote a climate activism anthem called The Tide is Rising. And it has gone viral throughout the climate movement. It's been sung on many continents. And um, that song expresses a hope for um, us taking back some of the power that feels like it is being lost to us with the devastation of climate change. At her Temple Sinai community, Friedman spearheads the work in social justice issues. That includes helping to pass criminal justice reform laws, sponsoring a Syrian refugee family, advocating for transgender rights, and working with an interfaith group that helps undocumented immigrants seeking sanctuary at a nearby church. The fact that there are people who are desperately fleeing for their lives and being turned away or coming into this country and then being detained, incarcerated, physically makes me nauseous um, on an existential level, because had that happened to my ancestors, I would not be here. And so many people I know and love wouldn't be. Friedman has dedicated her life to this work, and she sees being a rabbi as essential for this path. There is something that we talk about in rabbinical training, which is um, being a symbolic exemplar, by which uh, we mean that when we assume the role of a clergy person, we are not only being ourselves, we're also representing something for some for, for people. As a rabbi, I can get bigger than my individual self and represent a sense of the sacred, represent a sense of connection to God, represent Jewish tradition um, in Jewish spaces, also in interfaith spaces, also in secular spaces. And that means that when I show up, I am coming with a, a sort of oomph behind me that I really appreciate. Friedman says since childhood, she's had what she calls an overwhelming sense of empathy for suffering in the world, especially around the environment. And this mixed well with growing up in a family deeply connected to Judaism. My parents were more or less of the hippie generation and were looking, they both were raised reform in, um, in the 50s, 60s. And by the time the late 70s rolled around, they were looking for um, a depth of spirituality that they hadn't found in their childhood. They ended up in Renewal Judaism. As mentioned in the Vermont episode, Vitamins and Juice, Jewish renewal is a blend of the Hasidic ethos of joy with concepts like egalitarianism, environmentalism, modernity, and a willingness to learn from other spiritual traditions. Friedman's parents were founding members of B'nai Or, a renewal community in greater Boston. They also ran a Judaica shop in Brookline. So I grew up in these two Jewish spaces of a really beautiful, accessible Judaism, one represented by music and prayer movement, English and Hebrew side by side praying, um, and my dad was leading those services. And the other, uh, a physically and aesthetically beautiful Judaism that um, had this gorgeous art on the walls and uh, ritual objects made out of beautiful metal and glass and ceramics and books. And I loved both of those spaces really deeply. Both of them represented a relevant ancient tradition, a tradition that was made to be very relevant and, and meaningful in the world that I was living in. 
In college, Friedman met other people who shared her beliefs and through that community found more ways to turn her empathy into action. She majored in environmental studies, worked for a food cooperative, did community gardening, and founded a grassroots singing group. But it didn't totally feel sustainable in my soul. And by the time I graduated college, it was really clear to me that, you know, the adults in charge of the world were, were not on top of this at all. And I started to feel like as I got older, instead of the problems feeling any better, they were just getting worse and worse. Um, so I had a hypothesis that I needed to go into my own spiritual upbringing in, and, and tradition in order to find the strength to be engaged in the pressing problems of our time without burning out and without falling prey to despair. So she became a rabbi, not just for the oomph of the title, but for the philosophy involved. Friedman says it's important for her to be anchored in the ancient wisdom of religion, that it's a way to prevent burnout. As her fellow religious leaders taught her, with their form of activism, it's not so much about winning fights, but expressing faith. What these friends and mentors taught me was that just showing up to speak, to sing, to pray, to bear witness, to put our bodies sometimes in the way of infrastructure that we really understood was contributing directly to the plague of climate change, that this was a form of prayer, that it would have impact beyond what we could measure. The only things that we could know for sure was whether we were following our a sense of calling to to show up for this hurting world. And doing activism as an expression of prayer felt really different than doing activism as an expression of terror or um, needing to succeed, right? So as I can say as a rabbi in my training as a prayer leader, you can't really fail at prayer. Prayer is, a, is just a means of showing up with integrity to express oneself. Friedman's work on environmental and social justice issues are weaved into her Judaism. But for others, their form of Judaism and spiritual connection might involve taking a break from the issues of the day to not discuss, quote, politics in the synagogue. I really empathize with, the, with, with that view when it's coming from a place of wanting to give our systems a rest and to renew our connection to, to life force, to vitality, and, and, and kind of get out of the, the sense of terror and tightness that can come from being constantly bombarded with news and politics. That said, I think there is ample room to have a powerful prayer service um, and to have a sermon that talks about pertinent issues of the day. There's no way that I know to engage in a religious community in a deep way if we're not having our eyes wide open and our hands stretched out to the issues that are most pressing. Because, like many rabbis, Friedman says it's not about talking politics or preaching a party platform. It's about focusing on the underlying values from her interpretation of Judaism. So my Yom Kippur sermon was about immigration. My point in that sermon was a, was, was a deeply spiritual point. And my point was that we are all vulnerable, that we are all vulnerable people on the move seeking a good home. That that is what it means to be a Jewish, clearly. That is so much of our history, but it is what it means to be human since the beginning of us being able to walk and go across continents. That we have been on the move. And that the immigration crisis is not just a crisis of 
um, enforcement gone rogue. It's also a crisis of the value of what world do we want to live in? Do we want to live in a world where people who are fleeing for their lives get empathy? So that's not a question just of public policy. It's a question of, of what are we cultivating in ourselves? And if that isn't the purview of religion, then I really don't know what religion is. As for her own vulnerabilities, Friedman says things are different than they were before the 2016 election. My own safety in this country still feels pretty secure. I mean, I, I don't know if that's naive, but um, I have as white privilege as, as a Jew with white skin gets, um, which is a lot. The demonization of minorities is a very slippery slope. What it means to be a Jew in America today is to recognize, um, is to hold very with great tenderness, our own history of being persecuted minorities and to stand shoulder to shoulder with the folks who are currently being targeted. I don't feel like the Jewish story is incidental at this point. It feels incredibly relevant to what's happening. And at the same time, I try not to wave the, oi, they're always out to get us flag because I also don't think that's useful. Um, but I don't want to be naive that these old hatreds run very deep, that they are places that the human heart goes when it is really scared. And so there are a lot of very scared people. Similar to Rabbi Jan Salzman in Vermont, Friedman believes the narrative of Jews finding haven and prosperity in America is inherently tied to the concept of whiteness. Many Jews in America can pass for white. And for Friedman, that concept of whiteness is also tied into the very narrative of the American dream. I think it is an incredibly beautiful dream, and it has been true, but it has only been true for some people under some circumstances, and it has only been true with intense government. Uh, intentionality. So it was true for my grandfather because he served in World War II and was then given a interest-free mortgage to move out to the suburbs and build a house and start a business. And the wealth that he generated is still partially sustaining my family today three generations later. But that wealth wasn't created by magic. It was created by a government redistribution program that was available to him because he was suddenly deemed white and wasn't available to black Americans. And it was available because of a huge tax on the wealthy that does not exist today. Friedman says as a rabbi, a key role she can play in this narrative is being a facilitator of sorts and to try to have a dialogue about how to make things better and to approach this role with empathy. I feel really sad, and I think so many of us, and this is probably a place where the far right and the far left could really come together if we could listen to each other, that we feel deeply sad that this American dream that we were told as kids is not possible. And I think that there is a real reckoning that we need to do with with our national myth and a real reckoning that we need to do with, with the fear and the anger that people on these far sides of the spectrum are feeling, where I actually think we could meet and, and try to make some have some actual political consensus if such a thing were possible. As far as the future of Judaism goes, Friedman is optimistic. She's not too concerned about issues like assimilation. Coming from a reform temple, she says interfaith families and involved non-Jewish spouses make up the backbone of the vibrant community. I will also say that we here at Temple Sinai see um, multiple requests a month, sometimes multiple a week, of people interested in converting to Judaism, way more than either I or my colleague can take um, as, as students. So there is certainly, again, from where I'm seating, a influx of interest in Jewish practice, in Jewish life. 
Like many other rabbis interviewed for this project, Friedman sees changes coming, and she finds it inspiring. There are a number of really innovative Jewish communal projects that I could name off the top of my head that to me do not signal a dying community. Um, Hadar, for one, in New York City, where people come for a year or for a week seminars to study um, Jewish texts in an immersive environment. I mean, these are folks in our, you know, around my age and younger, 20s, 30s, who are wanting to spend their time deeply immersed in Jewish learning. There is an organization called Sfara, which is for a queer Talmud study out in Chicago. There are communities around the country that are innovating around social change, that are innovating around racial and ethnic and um, multicultural Judaism. I don't think that kind of innovation would be expected in a community that is withering away. I think Judaism has a huge amount to offer to the Jew, to, to the human project. She thinks the focus of Judaism should be on projects like those mentioned, staying relevant and meaningful. Friedman says one area she is concerned with is the divisiveness around the conversation on Israel. But what is particularly sad to me is the inability to get detriggered enough that we can engage with compassion with each other, because that is driving a wedge in the community. It is absolutely ostracizing many young people who are incredibly concerned um, about Israel, myself included, about Israel's treatment, government treatment of minorities, about the settlements, about the treatment of African refugees, about the destruction of villages. I mean, some egregious things are happening under the Israeli government that go fly in the face of my values, for sure. Friedman herself spent a year in Israel learning and listening to people on all sides of the conflict. And she says that's really the best way to understand the situation. The one thing that I can say is um, go, <laughs> go visit. Uh, if you're listening to this and on the uh, further left side of the spectrum and you don't want to go to Israel, um, I would say go because you can listen to so many different voices there than you can here. Um, you can visit the West Bank. You can hear Palestinian voices. You can hear Jews' voices. There are amazing programs to take us out of the, um, the insularity of the American gridlock and get our feet on the ground to try to form relationships with real human beings. Friedman has a lot on her plate, and the job of an activist can be a draining one. She's mentioned how her religion helps her stay positive, but I also asked her what specifically from Judaism teaches her and motivates her to do what she does. I think that one of the most important lessons that I've learned from Judaism is the potential for paradigm shifts for paradigm changes. Um, when we think about where we're at right now as a civilization, we're sort of teeter teetering on this brink of ecological collapse. And rabbinic Judaism came out of an entire collapse of what was Israelite tradition. The destruction of the temple um, by the Romans in the year 70 of the Common Era was a, com we can't even fathom today what that meant to a people for whom the temple was the way to connect to God. It was the medium of relationship to the divine. Rabbinic Judaism was the project of asking, well, the world as we know it just ended. How do we take what is most meaningful and important and make it portable and make it work in what we would now call the diaspora? The very ability of a religion to change so drastically over millennia in order to be meaningful to people is incredibly inspiring to me. Because in so many points along the way, Judaism could have simply died out. And instead of dying out, it transformed. And that is a lot of what I see as needed as we're thinking about how to make a vibrant human society 
functional and and just. One of the biggest lessons I took away from Rabbi Shoshana Meira Friedman is how it's important to stay grounded in something meaningful so you don't get burnt out in life. For me, that meant making sure I enjoyed myself on this trip as opposed to, or maybe in addition to, focusing so hard on this project. So I had a lot of fun walking around Boston the next day. Even though I wore my Dodger cap, everyone was nice to me. Probably because the series wasn't even close. You can listen to Friedman's song, The Tide is Rising, through a link on the episode page of my website, rabbiproject.com. American Rabbi Project, Episode 8, Massachusetts, The Tide is Rising, was written and produced by me, Justin Regan. Derek Pova deserves a beer for all the web stuff he's been doing. Additional help was supplied by Jeremy Crones, Sarit Rathbone, Beth Vanderstoop, Dylan Abrams, and my parents. And a special thanks to some more people who hosted me on my travels, including the Evans family, Ryan Mormon, and Angela Spiedelet. Please feel free to email me with any questions, comments, concerns to justin at rabbiproject.com. All other episodes and an index of Jewish terms can be found at my website, rabbiproject.com. You can also follow me on Twitter with the handle at rabbiproject and facebook.com slash rabbiproject. And until next time, shalom and safe driving.